Okay, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Before we get into this amazing episode on space tech and space exploration, I have an ask for you. So if you are following the podcast, you might have seen yesterday with my episode with Vlad from Webflow, I launched a premium kind of subscription tier for the podcast called Angel Invest in Forward Thinking Factors. Ultimately, what this gets you is one premium content. So no content will be paywalled and you'll see that might happen in the next couple of weeks. Two, um, you don't get any ads. You don't hear me asking for anything. Three, you get access to our online community where I post episodes weeks in advance. So you can see who's coming on and you can you know, suggest questions I ask future guests. And lastly, you get an invite to any meetup that I do on you know, on the internet or in person. And I will tell you that the first meetup is planned for late January in San Francisco, somewhere in Soma. So if you want to come and meet some of the guests that are on the podcast, come be an angel investor in uh, in Forward Thinking Founders. It's $10 a month or $100 a year. And the way to be an angel investor is go to glow.fm slash F20R. And that's how to invest. It's simple and you don't got to be accredited. So if you want to help support the, the, the podcast, get some of those awesome perks I mentioned and just support me as a creator, go to glow.fm slash F20R. And I really, really, really appreciate it with that. Let's get into the episode. Okay, if you're like me, the most you know about space and space tech is from what Elon Musk tweets about SpaceX. And what I learned in this conversation with Emily, there's a whole world out there and there's a whole industry. And in this really unique episode of Forward Thinking Founders, we're talking to you know a space tech founder, someone who's in the industry. We talk all about you know what's going to needed what's going to be needed do you have space tourism we talk about competition whether it's blue origin or whether it's nasa or spacex or, or virgin galactic um, and we talk about a lot of just unique aspects of building for space um and the, the emily the founder is in college this, this this woman's a genius so i really hope you enjoy this episode um of forward thinking founders and i don't think you'll find another one like it so check it out All right, how has it going, everyone? One second. All right, how is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Emily Carlson, who is the creator, the CEO of Artrift. Emily, welcome to the show. How's it going? Going good. Good, good. I am extremely excited to have you on, primarily because... We're going to be talking about a whole different category that I haven't talked about with any of the previous guests before. So I'm super stoked. And with that, let's just kind of like dive into what are you working on? What is Archrift? Well, Archrift is making a self-deploying oxygen helmet for use in space tourism and then also terrestrial safety applications. So basically, if there was like a pressure breach on a ship, then it would deploy over your head and pressurize. So you wouldn't have to wear like the traditional like fishstone helmet that you usually see with traditional spacesuits. All right, I obviously have tons of questions, but I think <laughs> the, big, the biggest question that I have, um, I want is probably gonna predate the company in that you know what interest do you have in this industry enough to you know build a company in it? I guess why why our drift and why this specific problem? Yeah, that's a good question. I've been a giant space nerd for most of my life. 
in middle school, I got really obsessed with the Mars rover, Spirit and Opportunity. And I kind of just like spiraled into like an overall obsession about space. So I've seen, I saw one of like the last launches of the shuttle and I went to space camp. And it's basically just been this like lifelong thing. And then when I got to college, it was, I had to really choose between like if I wanted to do aerospace engineering or business. And I decided I could do more with business and I could help more people with business than I could with aerospace engineering. Um, and so then when it was time for me to be like, oh, I kind of want to make a company, space was an obvious choice. That is, I feel like that would be a good quote for just kind of a, a uh, the um, to, thumbnail of the episode. So when I decided I wanted to start a company, space w- was the obvious choice. I love that because it's just what you have already been interested in, um, which which is great. I would love to dive into, um, you know, what what is the pro- uh, what is the product? How does it work? How like what type of person? would be using it? Is it astronauts? Is it NASA? Is it more forward looking? I guess, can you kind of dive into the actual product and who's gonna use it? Yeah, of course. Um, So first I should probably start by explaining there's two different types of spacesuits. So there's inter-vehicle spacesuits and there are extra-vehicle spacesuits. And inter-vehicle spacesuits are used for launch and re-entry. So if you've ever seen the shuttle astronauts like walk out and wave to the cameras in their bright orange suits, those are inter-vehicle pressure suits. And so they wear them for when they launch and then also when they re-enter in case of a pressure breach or other emergency. And those only pressurize in an emergency. And then there's extra vehicle, which is like the traditional astronaut suit that everyone knows and loves. And that's what they do when they're outside the ship and doing things. And so our product is for inter-vehicle suits. So traditionally with NASA, their helmets aren't super great. So the inter-vehicle helmets that NASA's been using and are going to use for Orion, they don't actually turn with your head. So like if you want to look anywhere that's not directly in front of you, you have to physically move the helmet and stuff like that. And so we're basically just replacing that helmet of the inter-vehicle suit. And so instead of having a helmet with the visor down the entire time, you can basically have nothing. And then in an emergency, your helmet basically just magically appears. And we're mainly targeting space tourism because right now there's, uh, I guess, like less regulation because like NASA has like an entire books of regulations about how their spacesuits are built. And obviously it's not great for innovative concepts. So with space tourism companies and the FAA, there's really not all of those rules about it it's still safe but there's not as many regulations so so i'd love to hear how you got started like how, like when you got the idea and you decided you wanted to pursue this company uh, excuse me for my naivete but like how does someone build a, this product where where did you if you can walk me through like how you thought through what uh you know how to think about building it Um, That would be really interesting to hear. Yeah, of course. So there's actually, the concept was actually inspired. There's a automatically deploying bike helmet that some people know of that um, was built by a Swedish company, I think. And so like that was my basic concept that I started with was more like airbag style. So like uh, there's this concept isn't exactly 
new, like it's been explored a lot in sci-fi and everything else. So you can kind of look, and I was like looking how sci-fi thought it was, should deploy. Um, and I originally went with the airbag concept of it will deploy completely with air pressure. And I basically explored that and I bought a bunch of clear beach balls and I basically just stuck them together and I was prototyping like that. And I quickly realized that that wouldn't work um, just because of like the pressure differentials because if you're in a ship that's quickly vacuum, um, air expands in a vacuum, so it would actually blow up probably if you tried to ex do it like an airbag on Earth. Um, so then we kind of just turned more to like springs and more like things that we knew would work in microgravity and would work in vacuum. And so it was basically just like us making really bad versions of mock-ups of things and then being like, oh, the physics don't work. And then just kind of kept going with that. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. And that's honestly how everything starts, right? You, yeah. You you try you try it out you try something almost like an MVP and you you know if it, if it works out great you keep going down that path if it doesn't great you learn something and you 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 kind of apply what you learn to the next thing within mm -hmm. the company so that that's incredible if you don't mind me asking um, do you mind sharing what kind of the makeup is of your team or is it just you do you have a team I'm curious to hear like what type of people are needed to build a company like this. Yeah, we're pretty small right now. It used to be just me. It was like me for just about a year. And then I actually just got a CTO, um, who's, who's uh, Elizabeth Thomas, and she's amazing. She is a PhD in chemical engineering and is a NASA space science fellow. Um, and so she's been with me for a few months now. And she's great because <laughs> she knows more of like the technical engineering. So I've been prototyping stuff like that, but she's great. So I can take this and be like, hey, can you do the math to make sure mm -hmm. this will actually work before we just like blow it up? Um, so she's great. And then we have our business advisor, um, Robert Green, and he started several biotech companies. And so he's been through it and he knows pitching and he knows how hard it is to do like a very technical company. So we talk to him a lot. And then I have some other like non-official advisors um, who work through Space Fund and in other aerospace companies. And I've talked to a few astronauts about it. So it's basically, I talk to a lot of people and everyone's been super helpful. Do you see um, space travel, space tourism uh, growing in popularity at some point in the next know, hundred years, and and if, if so, when, do, where do you, what do you see for the future of space tourism as more companies are working on space tech and people are trying, you know, to, to get out there in Mars and uh, and the Moon? Um, what what is kind of the the industry headed towards right now? Good question. Space tourism is coming a lot sooner than most people think, because Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin they're actually very close to launching their first passengers. They're going to launch early next year, most likely, especially Virgin Galactic. Because they've moved all their equipment down to their launch facility, like they're doing final testing. Um, so like actual space tourism is probably only like six months to a year away. And I know people keep saying that, and then it keeps getting pushed back because aerospace is very 
fickle, but like this time it's actually probably happening. So, I mean, it is closer. Whether or not it become mainstream really depends on how far the cost will go down, I guess. And we're definitely, NASA has their plans to like go back to the moon and everything else. So, I mean, like the space industry is growing a lot right now. And I think space tourism is going to take off a lot faster than people think it will. I'm curious to get your kind of insider thoughts on this. I would not say I am kind of, I don't pay super close attention to space tech. I, you know, just like a lot of people, um, I follow Elon on Twitter and I'm (laughs) I'm up to, you know, what SpaceX is is doing because Elon's in some ways like a hype man, but you just mentioned a couple of companies that I've definitely heard of, but are less hyped. I'm kind of interested to hear your perspective on is SpaceX, you know, that much better than these other companies? Are they much worse? Is it like, like how do you compa- take a hyped company in with kind of these silent companies in this race to space? Um, the cool thing about space is all the co- companies are really different. So SpaceX is definitely the most startup-y in the way of like, they move fast, they break things, they fail. Um, and so SpaceX is also one of the only like major VC funded space companies, especially Rocket, because like Virgin Galactic has a huge history. They were one of their um, Richard Branson's like, he came into them uh, after they already built their ship, but they were one of the first actual commercial ships to actually reach space. Um, So Virgin Galactic has a very good history um, and they have a very good like business model, but they're doing space plane. So they're doing completely like experimental suborbital space tourism. And then Blue Origin is Jeff Bezos's company, and he's basically completely funding that. So he's taking a billion, cashing out a billion dollars of Amazon stock every year to fund Blue. And they also get some government grants, Um, but Blue has been moving a lot slower. But I think the kind of cool and weird thing about Blue is they do invent a lot of really cool tech, but they're not as showy about it. So like, you know how SpaceX's rockets, like they land on the legs. Um, Blue Origin actually did that in 2005. And then SpaceX, there's some things if like SpaceX copied or if it was just like a common concept. Um, But Blue Origin has been around for a while, Um, but they move a lot slower than SpaceX does. And then SpaceX is weird because they're a weird combination because they're doing commercial crew. So commercial crews is programmed through NASA to basically replace the space shuttle. And SpaceX and Boeing are the only two left in it. And they've both gotten like anywhere from 3.5 billion to $4 billion to build commercial crew vehicles for NASA. So right now their vehicle and their capsule follows NASA regulations. And it's, they really haven't been super clear if they're doing space tourism or if they're just going to do commercial crew and then self-fund to Mars. So, yeah. You have a such, such a unique view into the industry, but I, it's one of these things where when I have people that aren't in tech and they ask me about, oh, what's it, you know, like in, in San Francisco or what's it like mm-hmm. building software? I like, I spill out all these things just because I understand all <laughs> yeah. this stuff, but that's you with space. And that's what, that's just so cool. <laughs> Um, I'm curious, 
you so as i mentioned before uh we started talking or before we started recording mm -hmm. you know, i found about out about you from arizona state university's uh you know pitch competition they call it the pitch playoffs etc and um i'm kind of intrigued have what has been what has it been like building this company uh it, within a university and as a student are you do you get kind of interesting support from asu or because it's so technical they might just be like you know i'm just kind of curious how asu kind of helps or doesn't help with something so cool but also forward thinking a good question i actually started my company during an during an asu program so asu used to have this program called draper where they sent us to Silicon Valley for a few months. And we were in this pre-incubator run by Tim Draper, who's a VC. Um, and so I actually founded my company there. And that's how I learned how to pitch. And I learned all the startup jargon and like everything else, the entire thing. And then I brought it back here. And ASU has been pretty supportive of it overall. Like the good thing about being in college when you're starting a company is First, a lot of people will talk to you because you're like, I'm a student. And they're like, oh, cute. And they help you. Um, and then also, there's a lot of chances to pitch. So ASU does have a lot of pitch competitions. And so that's helped a lot of, I can go and pitch. It's also kind of difficult because whenever there are pitch competitions, I'm usually one of the only hardware products. And I am so forward thinking. Um, and a lot of these people, have markets and they can like go talk to their customers like right now and be like, look at this thing, isn't it great? And they can get signups and everything else. Um, so it was really hard in the beginning to really get traction and be like, this is a realistic thing that I can do. But now I'm starting to get backing from people and I'm far enough along that I'm actually, people are seeing that it's more realistic, I guess. Yeah, that's, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think when you you have a you know a school like ASU, they ultimately it's like it is such a it's such a powerhouse. It's like mm -hmm. just like the pitch playoffs. It's like um, you know for those who don't know, the pitch playoffs are I don't know like 50, 60, 70 ventures pitch, and we're all competing. Or they are all I was in this you know a couple of years ago. We're all competing for like a million bucks or whatever, um, split up. And it's just cool where it's just like ASU commands all these startups to come out of you know nowhere you know and pitch and uh, I, I do think mm -hmm. my experience has been positive too um well a, a couple more questions in regards to um what you're working on and then i want to shift a little bit to um kind of where you're at now with pitching and uh, like what's the, the fundraising like and what kind of things you're pitching for but before <laughs> we go down that path um what would you say is the hardest thing so far about building a hardware company you know you just mentioned that you're usually one of the only ones in these pitch competitions but just in general outside of asu what have been some challenges that you've come across because you're not in the world of bits <laughs> i think it is hard for prototyping and really trying to get across what you're building because like if you have an app or anything else, you can mock that up pretty easily in like Adobe XD and be like, look, you can click it and like everything else. And you can also build it a lot faster. But my company is like a little over a year old and we don't have like a working prototype yet because like it is like the cost of building prototypes and 
it's everything else is pretty insane. And like, we've been trying to like show people what we're building with like CAD models, but like until people can actually like see it work and like physically touch it, it's kind of hard for people to just like be like, imagine what it will look like. So I feel like that's the hardest thing is just trying to get people to understand what we're building. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious, do you, um, this is going slightly into the kind of the pitching section, but um, I'm, I'm curious, do you pitch uh, Arch Rift is a opportunist, opportunistic company, meaning right now the market is small, but we expect it to grow exponentially and we want to intersect it while it's small and grow with it? Is that kind of a... a an angle that you're taking and if not what's the kind of the angle you're taking when you're telling people uh, specifically people maybe with money about our drift i mean we do kind of do the opportunistic like space tourism is become going to become a thing and we want to be like on the ground floor of it um but a lot of people we also kind of also we're going to move into terrestrial markets because we've realized pretty early on that we're going to have to in order to make revenue or at least to make investors make it look like we're making revenue, I guess. And so that's kind of the spin we had to do is like, we're building this for space and space tourism and that's a mission, but then we're also gonna move into like industrial safety because like those are significantly bigger industries and also they exist right now. Um, so that's kind of the spin we had to do. Definitely. And I mean, for my final question specific on Archrift, I'd love to hear uh, what is the, the the whole vision? I mean, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, whatever, however far out you're looking, you know, how big could this company get and, and what is it going to look like down the line? Yeah. So when I first founded it, I really wanted to make something in between like a full emergency pressure suit and an oxygen mask. Because an oxygen mask only works to 35,000 feet but pressure suits are extremely expensive and heavy and just overall not comfortable. So I wanted to make like a positive pressure system and the helmet was a component of that um, to replace pressure suits in like suborbital spaceflight. So then it would like protect participants, but then also be like cost effective for operators. And through pitching and like through feedback, we kind of scaled it back to like, we're just gonna make the helmet as a component so obviously the next step after we're done with the helmet and we get that working and get that to market is to build the positive pressure system. And then hopefully by that point, the industries will be better developed and like we can sell directly to space tourism companies like at a larger volume. And then after that, we're hoping to do adapt the technology for use in like space colonies. So if there's like a breach in a habitat, we plan on making technology smaller. So if there's a breach in the habitat, then it's like an emergency oxygen system for that. So that's a, that's a long-term plan. I feel like you are the epitome of the name of this show, Forward Thinking Founders. <laughs> it, it's awesome though. I see it, honestly. Like, I obviously don't, I'm not in this, as in-depth in this industry as you are clearly, <laughs> but I like, I, I see it. And I, I do agree that space uh, exploration and uh, colonization of other planets is not that distant and you know as mentioned you you probably have more details in this than i do but um it's coming and it's definitely coming in our lifetime and probably way sooner than as you mentioned expected so i think you're this is brilliant and i'm just looking <laughs> i just think i'm interested to see 
kind of where it goes. But I want to transition a little bit uh, from about specifically the industry and uh, uh, you know your company to what you've learned over the last several years about uh, pitching it. So on a high level, I'd love to hear um, you know when you're pitching. Archrift, who are you pitching to? Is it friends? Is it investors? You know, you know, who is the audience? And uh, so far, what what has your experience been like um, pitching that specific audience? Yeah, um, it really differs a lot right now. Definitely in the early days, it was like I was pitching to mentors and teachers and people just to improve, and then just like to general audiences on campus. And now it's kind of shifted to like. VCs in general, but also it's really exciting because now I'm pitching in like space specific competitions. So I'm actually pitching to space investors um, and people in the space industry. I'm starting to pitch a lot more too. Um, so that's my audience really. So how has, um, you know, when you first got this idea and you <laughs> first started pitching, as you mentioned, maybe to mentors or in a pitch competition, um, to now you're pitching to people that understand the industry, that invest in the industry. Um, what has changed about your pitch or you as a person as you've kind of entered in that next level league, the league kind of, I would say a different league, maybe a league better suited for where you're supposed to be at kind of what's changed in your pitch or yourself? Honestly, my pitch isn't a whole lot different from pitching to like space specific people to like a general audience because everything in space is so siloed like it's so specific that people who know a lot about rockets know basically nothing about spacesuits so it's not like i can get into more technical detail because i'm pitching specifically to space people um, which is kind of disappointing but it's also understandable because like it's space is very technically complicated um, so, like, in terms of, like, how much detail I can go into, it's pretty much the same. But definitely with investors and everything else, it's more financial information, and you go a lot harder on, like, your market, how you're going to go to market, and your development plan, and how much traction you've already had. Like, basic things. Yeah, definitely. I, I'm curious, how do you, when you're talking to investors now, um, do you say your pre-traction or if not like how do you like what is traction for you at the moment and once um and what yeah what is traction for you like and i guess what's your north star as you are hardware and it's hardware in a very kind of newer industry so i'm curious how you think about traction when talking to investors i mean right now our traction is mainly just like how many iterations we've gone through um, and how many mock-ups we've done and then also like we filed our provisional patents. So like that's also traction kind of for hardware. And then also we've won a few industry specific pitch competitions. So then it's like, look, the industry likes us. And now we're gonna start talking. Well, first we're building out our full prototype. We're starting that like in the next week. And then also we're starting to talk to our customers. So I think our actual prototype and talking to actual customers and getting um, MOUs will take the place of like how many prototypes we've done and like the pitch competitions we've won in terms of traction. Yeah, that makes sense. And like, have, do you ever, 
how how much you mentioned this lightly, but I want to go deeper into it. Okay. When you're when you're talking to an investor, they need to get they need to know enough information that mm-hmm. they feel conviction to then give you money uh, or give you someone else's money and expect you to return that. You know, in this case, probably in, in a couple of decades, maybe because it's a much longer horizon, <laughs> um, which is good. That's a good. I mean, I think that's like a it's the it's the big going for something big, um, and I think that's what investors. I mean, I'm not an investor. But that's my guess how they would be thinking about it. I'm curious, like how much how do you know how much info to get get into um so you don't lose them but you keep them hooked so you kind of get the second meeting um you know do you have you found a sweet spot of of what to go into but not not too deep (laughs) like not a level that's too deep that you lose them and they're like oh i don't understand i'm not interested i think i'm still trying to find that balance because like every time you pitch usually get feedback of like what people got lost on. And obviously you want follow-up questions because those for second meetings, Um, but you also don't want them to think you're unrealistic. So usually I don't go that far into our tech because usually it's kind of just like helmet and then like people just kind of assume your tech works. And so that can also give a really good like reason for them to approach you of like ask, actually asking how your tech works. Um, But I've definitely focused more on like our market and like proving that we actually will have a market and we will be able to generate revenue in like a decent time span. And then like our financials and our traction and our team and just like proving like, Hey, this is serious. We're actually doing this. And I think recently that's been significantly more important than going into detail about our tech. So. That makes total sense. Um, if you don't mind sharing, and if you do mind, then then, then that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when you like right now, uh, at the, let's say in the next month, if you were to set up ten meetings to pitch investors, you know, let's say you were looking for money, um, would you like? What's the type of investor that you're like currently looking to meet? Is it just any investor that's willing to listen and potentially give money? Is it space specific? Is it like still within the university sphere? Who is your ideal investor uh, kind of archetype to right now that you'd want to meet? Yeah, good question. Um, right now, we're mainly looking at angels and space specific investors because I have talked like. In the past, I have talked to just like general investors, like anyone I can get a meeting with, just get feedback, even though I wasn't really raising around. And the problem with regular VCs is their funds are usually seven to 10 years is when they're looking for a return. And so almost all of the feedback I've gotten for the past year is like, you need a shorter time span because like no VC, no normal VC is really going to invest. And so I kind of, we kind of solved that by going into the terrestrial markets, but even going into the terrestrial markets, like our timeline's still pretty long for a return. And so angels are more willing to be like, space is cool. And then they're more willing to deal with like longer timelines. And then also space specific funds are starting to pop up. So like space fund and like venture holdings and funds that know that space takes a while. Um, and so it's mostly, we're probably going to end up getting money with angels or space specific investors at this point. I'm kind of intrigued. Have you heard of the uh, venture capitalist firm uh, founders fund or do you know much about Uh, founders fund? I've definitely heard of them. 
but I'm spacing on everything I know about the oh, no, that's fine. Well, so the founder founders fund mm-hmm. is uh, is a kind of a firm that bets on on th- their whole their whole thesis is like we 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 were promised flying cars and we only and we got 140 characters. Is this <laughs> firm that is and they also if you go to their website they have this thing called Anatomy of Next, which mm-hmm. shows like literally where is the like crazy ideas that is going to change humanity? Why are we just still still stuck in software? Um, yeah. and I. I, I kind of, I don't know. I feel like they could potentially dig this. I mean, I, I'm not going to say I have like a super close connect there, but I, um, uh, I, I feel like this is a thing that they could get behind this. So if you know, so maybe like ask around if you know anyone um, there, I, I feel like founders fund would totally be into something like this. I can also like, you know, work by network too, but I don't know. They have like crazy ideas and crazy <laughs> founders and, and that's exactly what this sounds like in a good way though. Right. Yeah. In like in the best way possible. Thank you so much. I'll definitely look at them. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, a couple more questions in regards to pitching. Um, how, over time, how have you improved your confidence with pitching? I know a lot of founders start off kind of timid, scared, shy, whatever it may be, and they have to improve their public speaking because they need to win over the audience. Have you used any specific tactics or, um, or techniques to improve your pitch over time to yield better results? I mean, I don't think there's really any specific techniques. I think with pitching, it's more just like practice, like just like go out in front of a lot of different audiences and like don't say no to like any pitch competition. Because like when I was starting out, I didn't, everyone was like, this is crazy. And like, I never got any money. I never won anything. Um, but I got some good feedback and more importantly, I just got pitch practice. <laughs> so it was mostly practice and then just like the feedback I've gotten over time. And I've obviously gotten more comfortable with my company. So it's like I, I know my company so much better now than I did a year ago um, because a lot more things have happened. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. When I, I feel like also as you just the more you do it, the more you just settle in and it becomes less of a performance and more of just a conversation or, or a way to communicate what you're working on um, and less of like a, almost less of a presentation in some capacity, um, yeah. uh, which is always nice when you're having a conversation, even if it's a bigger audience versus like a giant presentation. It's a different, uh, a different vibe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, just a couple more. So, one thing I want to touch on is you, as mentioned, are a uh, student entrepreneur. You, you know, you started, uh, you know, out of a, a program at ASU. Um, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear just what advice or tips would you have for other, either high schoolers or or college students who are in the middle of a startup or want to start a startup. Um, you know, what, what tips would you have for them to kind of take advantage of resources that college gives you and resources that people just give college students in general because of that age? Like, how do you, I'd love to hear some tips on that. Yeah, like I think the number one thing that's helped me a lot is like, just don't be afraid to cold email people and kind of, you can phrase it however you want. I tend, I try and be very open, like it is a company and it isn't just like a class project um, for full disclosure purposes. but. If you email people and you're like, I'm a student, I'm working on this, I'd love to talk to you. A lot of people will get back to you. Um, so definitely take advantage of that because I've heard from people who have graduated that 
that diminishes a lot. Um, so I think I've gotten. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's this. Uh, is that what thing I just want to mention on that? Is there's yeah. this thing that happens after you graduate. And when you're a recent grad, you still get some of it. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're still you're still young and you're still like you know bustling recent grad, figuring it out. But I, I feel like I finally got into. The, I'm 26 right now, and I feel <laughs> like I've gotten to the age where I. I, I like that that superpower of youth is is in some ways gone like I could say someone oh I'm working on this they're like great like good for you yeah, yeah obviously yeah. it's it's you got to use tactics and stuff but I, I just want to echo you in that um college like be like doing things when you're younger or in college it is such a superpower uh superpower and people will give you time and they'll give you attention because it's just like what they do and it doesn't last forever so i just wanted to shut in there so you, you can keep going sorry yeah um like it is cool being in college because like there is a lot of resources and so there's like i took a class this semester on space business and I came in with my company already, but it was basically just like learning about commercial space and then just like pitching your company to more space specific people. And then just having a bunch of founder space founders come in and talk. And so there's like a ton of resources on campus, um, but it's also like a double-edged sword of you're also full-time in school and you're trying to run a company. um, And that can get a little overwhelming at times um, because I had to, I've had to like ditch like a week of class to go to pitch competitions before. Um, and like, that's not really a valid excuse to miss class apparently. Um, yeah. And then also it's like IP issues too with universities. So I've had to be so, so careful of like not using, overusing university resources uh, because then they can seize your IP. Um, would you be, yeah. would you be open to um just going a little more into that last point, just because this is um, something that, that I, I know a lot of people that have had to deal with this mm-hmm. element. Um, and I'm just kind of like, is there, uh, from what you've learned, in what ways can student entrepreneurs make sure that they have their IP? Um, and is there a point when you're using a certain amount of resources that it, like it just flips or is there a gray space um, or sorry, white space? Um, how, do, how do you think about that? I think like I think the rule of thumb that I've heard is if you develop it in a lab on university property, like in a university lab, then the university owns it. Um, and I mean, there are ways sometimes you can get around that, but usually it's just safer. So like I've kind of gone into this like very cautiously. Um, so whenever the university offers me resources or they offer me something, I'm very careful about like reading the fine print and like asking a bunch of questions um, because I've heard from many people that investors really don't want IP that is partially owned by university because then you have licensing costs and you have all these other issues with it. Um, So I think it's just like, be cautious. Don't be afraid to kind of like push back and like ask questions like, and be like very blunt questions too of like, does this mean the university will have like ownership of my IP? Um, and like usually universities are pretty good and they want to support entrepreneurs, but they also have to safeguard their own interests. So just be careful. <laughs> yeah, that is a good 
thing to know for students who are you know navigating the world of university resources um, I definitely had a, a couple guests on um, on the podcast who had to navigate that and similar to you um, they kind of uh, were very smart about it and you know it had, ended up with all the IP which is good so along the your journey so far which is just getting started and you, you know, it's, it's going to be a long journey in regards to building the first space. So, mm-hmm. I, but I'd love to hear so far, uh, what have been some of the biggest learnings that you've had um, since you got started uh, and uh, maybe some unexpected learnings that you didn't know you were going to get, but you got them. <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest one is just like, the biggest learning curve for me was just like, talk to everyone <laughs> because I'm, I'm pretty stereotypical nerd, and so I'm not the most social person naturally. I'm very introverted, and so that was a very big learning curve of just like going up to people and starting to talk to them and like going to events and like networking and emailing people. Just cold emailing people was like definitely a learning curve for me, um, but also one of the most helpful things I've done is just to talk to people. <laughs> um, and that was also just like getting over your fear. I think it's a little bit worse since I am in college. It kind of feels like I'm not like a real adult and like it's not like a real company. So kind of just like getting over that like imposter syndrome of that um, has been hard, but it's doable. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, the last question I have for you is building a, any kind of company is hard and it takes work and sometimes it takes some help and you got um, all these people listening that know this question is coming and the question is how can our community help you we got all these listeners uh so if you haven't you even ask for the forward-thinking founders community and is there anything that we can assist you with on your on your journey i mean i'm always looking for mentors and i'm always looking for people to talk to Um, since I am very young and this is my first company like it's just like navigating general business stuff like taxes is stuff like I'm having to learn Um, so any business advisors or any technical advisors are always welcome and would be much appreciated all right so if you're out there and you're interested in what Emily's working on and you feel like you have some business know-how definitely reach out. Emily, thank you so much thank you for coming so much. on to the podcast. This was mind-blowing, literally. <laughs> I, I never thought I'd be interviewing a founder of a space tech company, but here we are. So, so I appreciate your time and best of luck you know, growing, growing your company. Thank you so much.